Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks very much for listening. And I hope all of you are having a beautiful day so far, whenever this podcast reaches you. Here I am on day two of semen retention, day two of sexual continence, of learning about who I am as a man, who I am sexually, who I am creatively, who I am spiritually, and scrubbing away whatever doesn't jive with that exploration. So, wherever this finds you in your journey, I invite you to share, interact, dialogue. Some of you have written me messages, sent me audio messages, and I really appreciate the feedback. My experience is that a sense of community around our spiritual journeys is incredibly important. And I was reflecting upon one of my earlier posts with that story of the ascetic who got a young woman pregnant and then had a baby late in life, was that he was able to just say what had happened. Just say, this is what happened. Hi, I'm an 80-something-year-old celibate with lifelong celibate vows, but I got a young girl pregnant, and here's the baby. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that baby with me into the spiritual community, and I'm going to raise him, he's my son after all, while I live my spiritual life. And I thought, good heavens, that level of transparency is very, very powerful, and it's kind of missing from the modern world. Although I will say, not that I'm a particular fan of President Trump, but can't help but laugh, the one thing that is attractive about him that I think almost nobody can deny is that when he's accused of doing or saying something, most of the time he just says, yes, I did that. And it really pops the bubble because the way that people so often try to manipulate each other in modern society is by using shame. They try to imply, oh, you should be ashamed of this, or we already feel ashamed so we don't say something that we really have to say, or they just come out and say you ought to be ashamed of yourself, or whatever it is. Shame is a very powerful tool that's often used to manipulate and control other people. Now, I'm distinguishing that from a useful spiritual experience, realizing, wow, I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm going to change. I'm going to do something different with my life. That was terrible. I feel really ashamed. Like if I murdered somebody, if I abused myself, if I abused somebody else, I would hope that I would actually feel shame. That's not the kind of shame I'm talking about here. I'm talking about the kind of shame that people use to abuse others and to control others. So what I'm saying is powerful in my experience is to be able to say, this is what's happening. This is what's happening to me. There is a writer whose name escapes me at the moment. Before becoming a best-selling author, he was a, I think a hedge fund manager, not something particularly literary. And he built a readership, a following of more than one million readers very, very, very quickly. Faster than most writers are likely to get a thousand readers as fans. He had a million readers as his, as his devoted followers. They pretty much read everything he publishes. I think he's published like eight books or 17 books, a lot of books, and they're bestsellers. And he's given away a secret. He said, this is his secret. 
to writing stuff that people want to read. He says, in life, we all have certain massive points of pain. That's what I write about. So what he's saying is, if I may be so bold as to extrapolate, is he's saying, I write about things that hurt and that other people don't want to talk about, but that everybody has felt and experienced. We've all felt shame. We've all felt pain. We've all felt weakness. We've all felt, I don't belong. We've all had all of these unattractive experiences, but we seldom want to talk about them and to say, this is what's going on with me. This is the struggle in my life that I'm living. And when we do, it gives us access to tremendous power. So that's my suggestion to all of you is that building a sense of community around our spiritual journey is one of the most powerful elements that we can offer ourselves. Now, there may be some, some spiritual rock stars who are able to achieve great things spiritually seemingly on their own. But if we dig deeper, we always find there was always a community, even though we may not have seen that community. There may have been a spiritual guide or consultant in the area. There may have been a 12-step program. What I'm basically saying is, even in the most radical situations where somebody is able to seemingly achieve a lot spiritually on his own, there was always community, even if some of that community was not visible to those of us being amazed by that one's outstanding spiritual progress. So build community, gentlemen. Build community specifically with other men who have similar values with other men who are interested in their own sexual sobriety, in their own sexual continence, in their own semen retention. Now, let me talk a little bit about ejaculation and orgasm. I like to talk about, or to be able to talk about, my addictions. And I will say that one of my addictions in this life is ejaculation. Orgasm is, is another addiction. And oftentimes they seem to come together, but I think it's important to say my addiction to ejaculation is more problematic, that is more dangerous to my well-being than my addiction to orgasm. Although my addiction to orgasm is also an issue. To give you a parallel example, I have a, a dear friend who now lives far away from me, but I won't say his name, so I won't reveal his anonymity, but, but I will tell you a little bit of his story, which is that he's a recovered addict, and it goes like this. His addictions, heroin, alcohol, cigarettes, flour and sugar, and being in debt. So that's five addictions that I know of. Another dear friend of mine who has a very high level of spiritual achievement and sobriety, in my experience, has admitted to having 17 addictions, and his life is about living in recovery from those 17 addictions. He lives a profound, profound spiritual addiction. Recovery-free, addiction-free, recovery moving towards freedom type life. So this friend I began talking about with the five addictions, years ago he was living in a major city in the gutter without teeth addicted to heroin. No access to any treatment program, any treatment center. He got himself into 12-step meetings, Narcotics Anonymous, I believe, NA. Then to AA for his alcoholism. Then to DA, Debtors Anonymous, for his addiction to being in debt. Then eventually to a 12-step recovery program for food, for food addiction, where he was getting help to recover from his addiction to flour and sugar. 
He told me that he knows that although it was really, really important for him to recover from his addiction to flour and sugar, he said of all the addictions, the one that would destroy him the most if he were to go back to it would be heroin addiction. Because he knows that that one would take him down farther than the others. So I'm in that sense, I'm distinguishing the difference between my addiction to ejaculation and my addiction to orgasm. I would assert that my addiction to ejaculation is more detrimental to my well-being because it has me go for something that <clears throat> is more disempowering than is orgasm. Orgasm, in my experience, may or may not be empowering, may or may not be disempowering. What is a problem is the mad, blind, tunnel vision type pursuit of orgasm. That's where the addiction becomes a problem for me with respect to orgasm. But orgasm itself I don't find particularly problematic or damaging in and of itself. By the way, about that friend of mine with the five addictions who was toothless in the gutter addicted to heroin, he is no longer living in addiction. He's living in freedom from his addictions, in recovery, that is, by spiritual community and 12-step work and being of service. He has a good, steady, full-time job that pays well. He is married to a beautiful woman that he's in love with, and he owns property on two continents. Oh, and he has teeth. He has really nice teeth. I assume they're dental implants, but I would never have known that he was toothless if he hadn't told me. So I assume those really super good dental implants worked out well for him. So anyway, all of that happened through him recovering from his addictions. And his primary vehicle was 12-step recovery, which doesn't cost anything because that's what he could afford. He could afford nothing at all. Nothing. He was a very, very poor person. He's not anymore, suffice to say. So that's a happy story, but spiritual community was a big part of making that possible for him. And so my addiction to ejaculation, I would say, started as soon as I ejaculated. When I was 14 was the first time I remember ejaculating. I was masturbating, and I ejaculated, and it felt amazing. And in my head, that pretty quickly equaled orgasm. But even later when I learned that orgasm and ejaculation were two different things, I realized there was still an addiction to ejaculation. And so that's something I'm just being with today. But here I am saying, hey, I'm addicted to ejaculation. That doesn't mean I have to ejaculate. Doesn't mean I won't ejaculate. It just means today I can say in a form where everybody who wants to can listen to me. My name is Nathaniel, and I got myself addicted to ejaculation. But I don't have to live under the thumb of that addiction today. I have access to freedom. Thanks be to God, and thanks to all of you who are willing to connect and be a supportive community around our living lives of love, of sobriety, of sexual continence. Thanks very much for listening, and much love. Oh.